My name is Father Raphael Mary, and I'm currently a, a doctoral student in philosophy at Notre Dame, uh, finishing up hopefully next month. So this will probably be my last Theology on Tap. I've done a few of these over the years. Um, today, what we're going to talk about is uh, the topic of God and suffering. The, t the title, is, if, I if I remember right, is Why Does God Allow Suffering? Uh, a question to which I have no real answer. Uh, to give you tonight, I'll say that up front, um, that the answer really is I don't know. However, we can say a few things about it um, as, we, uh, as we go along here. And, you know, things that at least can make us think about reasons that God might allow suffering. Because all of us experience this in one way or another, namely suffering in our lives, and sometimes great suffering. I mean, I'm sure that each of us can tell stories of things that have happened to us or that have happened to people that, we, that we're close to that have been truly horrible. Um, I can say that um, from, from, my, from my own life, um, someone just asked me beforehand if I have siblings. And usually what I say when someone asks me that is I say, yes, a brother and a sister, but they're both deceased. Um, both of my younger siblings, both younger than me, I was the oldest. Um, both of them died, one in a car accident um, the age of 19, and the other just uh, five years ago of a congenital condition, my, my, my little brother. So, uh, um, you know, uh, that was, of course, very, very hard for me, but um, if you've ever seen parents lose who lose a child, um, it's infinitely harder for a parent to lose a child than just about any other sort of death. Um, it's really remarkable. So, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people in the world that suffer. Lots of horrible things happen. And it often makes people ask, you know, why didn't God stop this? Couldn't God have done something about this? And if there is a God, why did he stand by and let this happen? So this has often been called the problem of evil. Why is there evil in the world when we have a God who is all-powerful and all-good? So there's sort of three Three truths, <coughs> excuse me, three truths that don't seem to fit together, okay? That God is perfectly good, that God is all-powerful, and that there is evil in the world. There is suffering, right? The idea is that if God can stop it because he's all-powerful, and if he's perfectly good, why wouldn't he? You know, why does God allow suffering? This, this, uh, <coughs> puzzle can be traced all the way back to Epicurus in 300 BC. I mean, it's not, it's not a new worry uh, for the human race. So this is even, you know, even in the, in the Greek context, uh, this, this worry was there. So in order to try to sort of make sense of the problem of evil, I think we have to start by talking about what we mean by evil um, and why it's clear that there is evil in the world. Um, so two basic kinds of evil. The first is moral evil. Right, so this is evil that is brought about by human choice. People who do bad stuff, killing, lying, cheating, um, screwing over their fellow man to try to get their way. Um, this, these are things that have been happening ever since the Garden of Eden. The second is natural evil. So natural evil is not so much kind of evil that can be blamed on anybody, but it's just bad stuff that happens. So you stub your toe, right? I mean, it's not, it's not a sin to stub your toe, right? It's not because you're morally broken. You don't say like, you know, oh, you know, this is, this is, this is because of the original sin in me that I, that I stub my toe. No, it's, 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 it's what we call natural evil. I mean, more serious versions would be things like natural disasters, you know, hurricanes, floods, earthquakes, illnesses like cancer, right? These seem, I mean, it, it's, it's hard not to see cancer as something that's evil. It's bad. It causes suffering in the lives of human beings. And yet, it's not the direct result of anybody's sin. It's just, you know, you might say, bad luck. You know, you got cancer. And so, but, so, but why, why would there be such things as this? So, one, one response that people often want to give is the idea that God allows evil 
because evil serves some greater good in God's plan. Even though the evil happens, some good comes out of it. So I actually saw this in the death of my sister in a, in a kind of striking way that uh, as a result of her death, one of, one of her friends who was someone who was into drugs and was not, um, was not living a healthy life in many ways ended up becoming Catholic. Um, and now she's married and has children. Um, would that have happened if not for her death? Who knows? But certainly her death was, and coming to her funeral and hearing my dad speak at her funeral, uh, seems to have, have been instrumental in God's bringing this, this woman to his son, Jesus Christ. So, I mean, that's amazing. We can also think of persecution in the church. So when the, whenever the church is persecuted, it tends to become healthier. Right? Christians get persecuted, they die for their faith, and more Christians come along. Right? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It's an, an old saying. Uh, good, great good comes out of the evil of persecution. Think of you know, a very kind of naturalistic example of forest fire. Right? Forest fires can help the, the forest to become more, uh, um, more fertile in the long run. Even though Bambi dies, you know, or, or even people die sometimes in forest fires, but, but like, good can come out of it. Um, so there's lots of ways in which a greater good can be served by evil. But we also have to ask the question, can we see that in all evil? Like, can we look at any example of evil and say, oh, clearly that was going to bring about a greater good? And I think very often we can't. Very often we see, like, you know, a child killed, you know, murdered. What, what, what good did that serve? Now, may, maybe the parents are, you know, through suffering or drawn closer to each other or something, but was that really worth the child dying? And I think we can, it's fair for us to ask, couldn't God have achieved the good in some other way rather than through the death of that child or through, through whatever, whatever it is? Um, people have struggled with this, particularly over, you know, really horrible things that have happened in history, like the Holocaust, right? Like, what could possibly be the greater good of the death of six million Jews and millions and millions of other people who died in, in concentration camps? What could be the, the greater good that's served by that? And this is where the problem of evil gets really difficult, because we realize that, there, that although some good can perhaps be explained in terms of, or excuse me, some evil can perhaps be explained in terms of some greater good that we, can, that we can see that God brought about through it. Not all evil can be explained, at least by us, in that way. This is where I think we really have to take a step back and recognize the, how limited our perspective is. You know, God, is, God, God lives in eternity. He lives outside of time. And yet he sees all of time from the beginning to end in one glance. And he created it. God has, it's, it's sort of like, the, if, if sort of time is like a parade, we're standing on the sidelines seeing things go by, right? And God is up in the Goodyear blimp and sees the whole parade from beginning to end, right? So he knows what's going on here and there and, ex and how this affects that. Uh, in ways that are just infinitely greater than we can know. So one place to start, I think, is by recognizing our ignorance. That when we ask, why would God allow suffering? We can be okay with the answer, I don't know. But that, that answer is not quite enough by itself. Because the I don't know could be given by anyone who doesn't have faith. They believe in God. They can say, I don't know why God, why God allows suffering, but I hate him for it. But that's not the response that we're called to. The response that we're called to is trust. I don't know. I can't see why this person who was so good and so innocent died so horribly. I can't see why my son or daughter got cancer. Right? I can't see why, that, why God would, could possibly allow that. And yet I trust that God's providence is somehow, somehow in a way that I, I may never see, uh, going, to work, going to work through that. 
That is the hard part about the problem of evil. Even though we, we do know intellectually that God, we know intellectually that God knows so much more than us, and God sees so much more than we, can, we could ever imagine we could see, and we can know intellectually that we should be humble. We should be humble in the face of, of trying to give an explanation for, uh, for suffering. Still, when we're confronted with it, it's hard to bear because we think, if I had the power of God, I would stop it. There's a few theological things that we need to, that, that can, can help in dealing with this, pro- with this difficulty. One of those is, is the long tradition in the church that although evil exists, in another sense, evil doesn't exist. What do I mean by that? Well, Traditionally, and going back at least to St. Augustine, and I think, I think before, evil is a privation. Okay? It's a lack of good. Okay? So something is evil, not because there's something, some evil in it, but because it lacks some good that it's supposed to have. So this is the way Thomas Aquinas defines evil. Evil is a, an absence of some good that's supposed to be there. So, for example, it would be really good if you could fly like Superman, right? But it's not an evil that you can't fly like Superman because you're a human being, you're not supposed to be able to fly like Superman, right? So that's not an evil. But if you lose a leg or if you get cancer, all of a sudden your human flourishing is lacking in some way, is impeded, is blocked in some way. That is an evil. And so as as a result... I mean, so evil is a lack of good in the way that dark is, is, is an absence of light. And because of that, everything that exists is good insofar as it exists. Because existence by itself is, is a good. It's something that comes from God. So even the devil is good insofar as he exists. Pure evil would be nothing, would be non-being. Uh, because, because evil only exists as, as, as a lack of in something that, that is good in itself. So, and the key, the key to this is that God doesn't make things lack an evil, lack, lack good. Um, in, in, in the same way as, you know, if I, uh, if, I, if I injure my leg and I try to walk, it's not the leg's fault that, that it's not walking well, it's the injury. It's something that's missing from it. It's not because the leg is somehow not doing its job right, although sometimes we say that, but it's because there's an injury in it that's preventing it, that's blocking it. So God doesn't create those absences of good in things, and yet God creates the things, right? And when he creates the things with their natures, they have, they have various lacks in them. And so God isn't completely off the hook in this. Right? God is, God is the ultimate creative source of everything. And so uh, we still are left with, with, with this difficulty, this difficulty of, of, of how, um, why God would permit evil. One of the most popular responses to it throughout history, of course, there's a response that I already gave that we just can't know and that God, God has his reasons, but we can't know what they are. And so we have to trust. In a way, I think that's the best response. But another response that, that's been given is what's called the free will defense. Okay, so the, free, the idea of the free will defense is that God created human beings with free will. And if God were to interfere with their free will, even when they do heinous things, if God were to interfere with their free will, he would be taking back that gift. And that gift of free will is so good in itself because it is what allows us to love. Right? Someone who's not free can't love. And so, because that gift is so good, God allows us, even when we're hurting ourselves, to continue to act freely. Now, you might ask, well, that's great for moral evil, but what about natural evil? Like, earthquakes aren't because of that, right? Well, the tradition of the church often, often assigns natural evil uh, the cause, the ultimate cause of it as being, being based in sin. 
beginning with, with, with the sin of Adam and Eve, that before the fall, Adam and Eve were protected by grace from uh, sort of the various perils of nature. And when that grace was removed after they sinned, uh, then, then, then those natural evils became, became a true threat to them. So, so that, that's one like, very sort of prominent answer to the problem of evil that, that's in the tradition. But answer is too strong, really, because really it's, it's only a way of kind of pointing in the direction of why, why, why God might allow suffering. At the end of the day, this problem is really not a fundamentally a philosophical problem. It's an experiential problem. I think philosophically, we can, we can recognize intellectually that God must have his reasons and that we can't know what those are. That, that he is so, so far above us. It says in scripture, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. And I think that can kind of satisfy the intellect. Um, But it won't satisfy the emotions and our experience. Uh, That requires grace. I think grace is what we need to get through times of suffering. Grace to overcome anger, to overcome temptations against faith, temptations temptations to despair. This experience of suffering can be a great barrier to our faith, but it doesn't have to be. Because times of suffering need to draw to drive us closer to the Lord rather than further away from him. I saw this in a very powerful way with my parents, both of the times when they lost one of their children. Um, that, I mean, <laughs> they suffer a lot to this day still. And yet their faith has held them together. And it's not a faith that comes from them knowing why this happened, right? It's a faith that God is our, is our strength. I remember my dad said to me and when my sister died, um, he said, you know, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The words of Job. From, from the book, beginning of the book of Job, after Job has lost all of his children. Um, and that just made me cry when he said that. Because what it is, is it's a sign of, hey, I know Jesus Christ and I know he's real. And I don't know why he allowed this to happen. But blessed be his name. Blessed be his name. The final thing that I want to say is that we as Christians have a special sort of answer to the problem of evil. Uh, an answer that, that God gave to the world in his son Jesus Christ. And that's, that is in the passion of Christ, in the suffering of Christ. And this is not necessarily a philosophical answer. Because Jesus didn't come to teach us philosophy, per se. Although he did teach us a little bit of philosophy. But he came to save us. He came to offer himself in sacrifice and to rise from the dead uh, for us. And he saves us in a very powerful way through his suffering. Through God himself becoming one of us. And even though he's not explaining to us why we suffer, he himself is entering into our suffering and sharing it with us. God God himself uh, in a human body with a human soul. So it's, it's not by words, in a way, that Jesus answers the problem of evil. It's by his actions. It's by his blood. And we have to be... We have to be clear, too, that even the suffering of Jesus is bad in itself. Right? All suffering is bad in itself. Jesus doesn't save us simply because he suffered. He saves us because of the love expressed in his suffering. Because by his suffering, by his cross that was completely undeserved, He shows us the love that he has for us. He manifests that love. And in the same way, our suffering can become redemptive in that way if we suffer with love. This is the old thing that, you know, our parents and grandparents used to say to us, offer it up, right? It's kind of become a joke in Catholic circles. Offer it up, you know, offer it up. (laughs) Oh, yeah, offer it up. Uh, 
But the reality is, this is a powerful thing, offering it up. What does offering it up mean? It doesn't mean I like my suffering, right? doesn't mean that. What it means is that I accept this suffering out of love, and I offer it for this person, or that person, or someone else that I know needs, uh, needs prayer, someone who, them, who, who is themselves suffering. I bear the suffering willingly as Jesus bore his suffering willingly out of love. And make, and, make an, make, and make an act of love. That is so powerful. It's a form of prayer. But it's a powerful prayer because it's an incarnate sort of prayer. You're suffering as an, an embodied being out of love for this, this, this other person. And so this is something where, uh, this is something where through grace our suffering can become powerful and it can become redemptive, not, in the, not just in the sense that the Lord gives us grace to bear it, right? Sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't, right? Like, I mean, he always gives us grace, but it doesn't mean the suffering is going to be fun, right? It's never going to be fun. But we can, we can recognize that our suffering is serving a greater good through the cross of Christ, through our prayer, and through our offering it out of love for him in union with, with what he did for us. Uh, my question is, uh, so I know... An easy answer to this would be just, you know, we also don't know. But why does God allow, or why do more people suffer? Like, like why do people suffer way more than other people sometimes? Like, it seems like some people it's just like boom, 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 boom. Like, tons of suffering, and other people just live a pretty decent life. And, and then the people that suffer a lot tend to struggle with their faith a lot more. And, and is, is that... I don't know. Yeah. Just along that. So I don't know if the people that suffer a lot tend to struggle with their faith a lot more. I'm not sure that that's the case. Um, maybe. Uh, well, so set that aside for a second. But certainly we can see even in our society that like some people just suffer more than other people. I mean, some people get dealt a more difficult hand. Um, and why is that? Uh, and I and I think I do think you're kind of behind the pillar of the person who asked the question. But, uh, I I do think that. Uh, ultimately that we don't know. Um, but I, I also think that uh, God gives special graces to people who suffer. Um, and, and I think that uh, even though they might, might not see the results of that in this life, that I think there's a special, God has a special love for those who suffer. And I mean, you can see this in the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Or as it says it is in Luke, blessed are the poor. Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake sake of the gospel. Um, blessed are those who mourn. So there, there is, um, I mean, Scripture tells us that God has a special love for people who who suffer more. And I think that that has to be true. But how that like plays out, like that may not be. I mean, up front, that's not super consoling, <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> thanks a lot. But part of that is just because the love of God is not very concrete to us a lot of the time, you know? Because God, God, God hides himself from us for whatever reason. He doesn't reveal himself to us um, as, uh, as tangibly as we might like, right? Of course, we as Catholics have the sacraments in which Christ comes to us through visible signs. But even then, it's veiled, right? God had here in hiding, right? The, the, the Lord is hidden in the appearance of bread and wine. Uh, in the Eucharist, so uh, yeah, I think I think uh, um, I think that's a really hard question. I think the question becomes even harder when you talk about uh, people in other cultures that are not as fortunate as ours, um, places where people just lack the basic needs of life. Um, but one of the interesting things I've experienced in my in my little bit of time with the poor abroad, in, a few, in like in Argentina and Mexico, um, I you know I, I've I'm a Dominican. I don't spend all my time serving the poor like the Franciscans do, um, for better or for worse. But, you know, in my experiences like that, I actually tend to think that the people who suffer the most in the world tend to have the most faith. Um, that's a generalization. But I always thought it would be interesting to write a, um, a philosophical article on this. Um, I'd have to get some empirical data to be able to back it up. But uh, an article with the title... Uh, the problem of evil as a first world problem, right? I mean, it, it tends not to be something that people who are struggling with their daily needs 
uh, and who believe in God and who trust in God tends not to be something that they bother themselves about, right? Of course God is real. I don't know why he, you know, allows me to, to suffer in this way, but, you know, I depend on him for my daily bread, you know? I depend on him for my, my peace, uh, peace of heart. And I depend on him for my hope in, that there is another life after this one um, when every tear will be washed away, right? So, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. I think it's. I think it's actually complex. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that I would agree that ever that people who suffer more um, tend to struggle more with faith. Uh, I think. I think it actually varies. Uh, so I guess this question is kind of abstract. But if God created everything, then where did evil come from? So we kind of say that uh, through through Satan, evil entered entered the world, and we say that the uh, Satan's fall was due to pride or envy or those sorts of things. So where did the pride and envy that tempted Satan to turn come from? Yeah, so God created, God created everything. And so there's a sense in which God created evil too because he created everything. But recall that evil is an absence, right? So creating evil is kind of a funny thing. It's sort of like, does the baker create the hole when he creates the donut? Well, yeah, kind of, right? I mean, I mean, kind of he does, but not really, right? Because the hole is just what the, you know, the donut is round and there's a hole in the middle. But, but he doesn't really make the hole. So it's, it's, sort of, it's sort of like that. Still, though, God created the things that have absence, right? The things that aren't perfect. Things with natures that allow them to fail, you know, first and foremost, us. Right? He created us with a nature that made it possible for us to fail. And so in that sense, God, God allows evil. So he doesn't create it per se, but he permits it to enter the world. And um, he, that's like a, a big puzzle. Why did he do that? Why didn't he create a world perfect? Now, some people that answer that puzzle, so, so one way of putting this, 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 this worry is why didn't God create the best possible world. Um, some people would answer that by saying, well, because there is no best possible world. God could always create, for any world, God could always create a better one. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not too sure whether that's true or not. I think, um, I think at the end of the day, we, God was not obligated to create. Um, and he was, because he's good, he was obligated to create a good world. But whether he was obligated to create the best world. Uh, I shouldn't say obligated because it's not exactly an obligation on God. It's just that his nature, from his nature flows goodness. And so God created a world of goodness. Now the fact that goodness is lacking in certain areas is somehow according to his providence. And we don't know <laughs> exactly why he chose for goodness to be lacking. Sometimes we can see ways in which greater goods come out of it. But um, ultimately we can't answer all those. So I don't know if that, that kind of helps. Yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough question though. <laughs> yeah. Great. Thank you. Um, let's see. I, I'm, you had talked about like the, the answer to, uh, or a possible direction to talk about evil being like free will. And you said, it's not really an answer. It's more of a direction. Um, yeah. And I, I liked that because I've experienced like trying to talk with people about well, why evil. I go to free will and then, but then the natural disasters, like how are we all, how is moral evil and natural evil bound up together in this created world? And um, I was wondering if you could speak to that. Like how, you know, how are those two things connected, if, if at all? Yeah, I mean, you know, there, there is, like I said, there's a long tradition in the church. And I mean, this is, uh, I mean, the understanding is that there's a way in which all of creation fell with Adam and Eve, right? And what that means exactly is, is not easy to kind of spell out. But, um, but there, there is, in the tradition, I think there, there is a strong strain of the tradition that says, hey, all of this ultimately comes back on us, right? on our sin. Not necessarily on my personal sins, but at least on the original sin um, and the si sort of sinful nature of human beings. Which doesn't mean that earthquakes are a punishment for sin, per se. Not for, not for an individual person's sins, right? Um, but, uh, you know, 
what is the relationship? I mean, I think it's kind of hard to say. You know, I've always, I've always wondered, you know, I, I spoke of God as sort of being up in the Goodyear blimp, right? Seeing all of, all of eternity. That doesn't just mean all of human life, but all of eternity. And, you know, I, I mean, I wonder, kind of going, getting back to what I said about the way that God clearly loves the pe- people who suffer, um, you know, he sees not only our life here on earth, but also what our life will be in eternity after. And uh, I don't know, maybe he'll make it up to us. <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I'm not saying, I don't, I don't know, I'm not God, right? But, uh, but um, yeah, but, but it's tough, you know, like the earthquake in Haiti, what, several years ago. Um, you know, it's just horrible. All these people that are the, the, the poorest people in the Western Hemisphere, um, hit by this terrible earthquake, destroying their infrastructure, you know, creating if, you know, even greater starvation than there already was. Um, what's up with that God, you know? Um, and yet he kind of, he allows a certain freedom, not just to us, but to his, his world as well. Um, he's not just kind of tinkering with it all the time. He, he uh, leaves, there's a certain order to the world that God, that God allows to, um, to be there. And yeah, I, I don't know that I have too much more to say <laughs> about it. Another question for another follow-up, quick follow-up, yeah. Yeah, so one of the things I appreciate very deeply, the, the story of Adam and Eve, um, but thinking of like the history of our planet and um, like there were natural disasters that wiped out populations of animals before human beings ever came onto the scene. So one of the things like I, I appreciate like, yeah, myth and like as a way to understand the world and I think it's really valuable, but it, I, I have a hard time like with kind of relating that story to, oh, there's natural disasters. And maybe if you think, oh, there's a cosmic battle happening that happened before even human yeah. beings entered the scene. I don't know. So yeah. I, I, that's True just a, the side thought. So I don't know if, if um, there's really yeah, an answer. So, so I mean, this is, this is something that's so, I mean, this gets into the question of the, the uh, um, how do we place the story of Adam Eve in the history of the world? You know, how does that, how does that fit in? And I don't have an answer to that question. There's a lot of different answers that could be given to it. Um, you know, answers that are that are consistent with what we know scientifically about about how the uh, um, about 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 the history of the world. And I th- I think um, I guess maybe you know s- something like the kind of answer I would I would generally give is that human beings were protected in a particular place. You know, the Garden of Eden, something like that. Um, at, at when God first created human beings. Um, when, when God first uh, created the soul. Um, and before that, I mean, you know, when you talk about the, the deaths of animals, I mean, clearly there is, there, there is a kind of natural evil there, that there's a lack. There's a lack of, of uh, the good that's, that's there, that should be there, so to speak. But it could be, it could be also that, that even that was made in view of the original sin, even, even if it's before it, so to speak, because God's not limited by, limited by time uh, in that way. And so th- that could be the way that, that, that we can make sense of that in terms of God's providence. Um, b- but it's a good question. It's a good question. And I'm not, I'm not, to- I'm that's just kind of thinking off the top of my head. Yeah. Sean, you're- I, I have a follow-up question to okay. her question. <laughs> okay. So you briefly touched on like the her question is about how, what's the relationship between moral evil and natural evil, if there is any. And you briefly mentioned something like that, well, it's not like punishment for individual sin. But obviously, when there are some natural disasters, some people even, uh, some people who claim it to be Christians will yeah. attribute natural disasters as God's punishment for collective activity of a people or an area or a region. And I mean, we might say, like, some of us might be saying, oh, like, oh, no, no. But, like, even we joke about, like, all right, if I do this, like, I might get struck by lightning or something like that, right? Like, this natural yeah, yeah. disaster might just hit me if I, yeah. do the, if I do the wrong thing, right? So this is in our collective thought. Like, so, yeah, so, yeah what do you, how do you respond to that? And yeah, what do you so, see the Yeah, so, I mean, sometimes God just strikes people with lightning. I mean, <laughs> so, so watch out. I mean, um, no, no, I mean, so, look, I, I, I didn't mean to say that, a natural disaster couldn't be punishment for in, for uh, the sin of an individual, but in as much as we can't know that, and as much as it's not the case that 
every natural disaster automatically is, um, it's, it's best for us not to presume that that's not the case because we, we simply can't know. But I, I guess I, I wouldn't eliminate, like take away from God the ability to punish us with stuff, right? I mean, God could do that. Um, and certainly he does, I mean, scripture has, has uh, accounts of that. But it also has, you know, Christ saying, you remember the people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, right? Do you think that they were more uh, evil than anyone else in, in Israel? And he said, I tell you, no. Uh, but if you don't repent, you will die as they did. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I, I, I think in Scripture, we, we, we do see that there are times when God punishes people um, in very physical ways. But, but that's, not, that's not generally what's going on. Yeah, today's reading, yeah. I think, was the flood, Noah and the flood. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> there you go. That's that's like one of the one of the most uh, vivid <laughs> versions. So one thing I was thinking about is one one can make the argument that uh, God intentionally put suffering in the world to see how humanity would react to it. Like, would they turn to Him? Would they turn away? Would they do anything at all? And if they did, just something to what degree? So. Um, I guess, would you give any credence to that particular theory, yeah. theory and why? No, I think, I think, I mean, so I, I don't think that, uh, so I don't think there's one theory that explains it, explains the reason God permits suffering. But I do think that sometimes God permits us to suffer um, in order to purify us, you know, and in order to, 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 to uh, force us, so to speak, to turn towards him. Um, so I think, I, think, I think some of the suffering in my life, I can, I can in retrospect see that way. Uh, so I do believe that that's at least sometimes what's going on. I'm not sure, like, I, I, I wouldn't, I would be hesitant to accept it as an explanation for all suffering. But, uh, but I definitely, yeah, I, def I definitely think that that's the case sometimes. That leads right into what I was saying, kind of, I keep asking myself maybe, like, why did he not allow suffering just because that's what he did, that's what Jesus did, you know, he did the, he had the greatest suffering, and that was love. Suffering equals love. So you divided all the suffering into three different categories or whatnot, but does one category trump, you know, the other categories? What do you mean by trump? <laughs> what do I mean by trump? Like, is, I guess, is, is one more important than the other, like, or than the other two or whatnot? Um, and I just keep going back to, you know, the Lord suffering here on earth yeah. and giving us that and suffering equals love and joy and that's how we get to heaven, like a part that could be a part of how. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess that just, just came to mind. I don't know if yeah. you wanted to comment on are they all equal kind yeah. of thing or are they not? So um, this is a place where the Dominicans and the Franciscans are a little bit uh, divided theologically and where the church hasn't spoken. So well, what I mean is if there hadn't been a fall, if Adam and Eve had not sinned, would Christ still have come? Right? So the Franciscans say, of course, because Christ is the greatest of all creation and he would have come and saved us, and well, even if we didn't need saving. Um, the Dominican answer is, well, I mean, and this is Aquinas' answer. Is he says, we don't know, because we did sin. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, and, and obviously, I mean, Christ came to save us from our sins, right? If we hadn't sinned, would Christ have come? Ooh. Right? That's sort of, a, that's sort of Aquinas' answer. Um, so, I mean, I mean, it's important to realize that Christ's suffering is not good in itself. It's, the suffering isn't love itself. It's the love with which he takes the suffering upon himself. That's, um, that is what is salvific in it and, uh, you know, infinitely valuable in the eyes of the Father. Um, and if we hadn't sinned, I don't know uh, uh, if, if that would have happened. So, uh, I mean, it seems hard to think of, of Christ, to me at least, of Christ's suffering being the only one suffering. Like the rest of us, like there wasn't really suffering in the world. And like all of us were just, you know, like in God's grace and prayed to natural grace and original justice and just forever, right? Um, and then Christ comes and suffers. I'm not sure that that would make the same sense to us um, in that case. But this is all very, very abstract, right? <laughs> because, you know, as, as Aquinas said, we did sin. So, oh, happy fault. You know, as we say in the Easter Vigil, oh, happy fault that bought for one for us so great a redeemer. Um, that the, the sin of Adam brought about uh, the redemption in Christ that uh, takes us even higher than we were in the beginning. 
So yeah, but that's a good, that's a good question. And I don't <laughs> It's a great talk, because I could just say I don't know lots, lots and lots of times. <laughs> I don't know. That's what I said to Sean when he said, why does God allow suffering? And I was like, oh, that's easy. I'll just say I don't know. <laughs> OK, so I guess the issue then is less with the problem of suffering and more with the problem of evil. Have you come across, I don't know, have you come across people who, I guess my, my question is like, so is suffering then necessarily evil? Can you get to, what is, I feel like there's a jump then between like human suffering and evil. Do you see what I'm saying? So suffering is evil in itself. Right, okay, so would you but say... But it can bring good about. Right. And it can be the occasion for good. Okay. Cool. Does that All make right. sense? That, that makes sense. I'm wondering if you can say that human suffering is necessarily evil without, like, there being, like, a god. Oh, so, so that's, an that's actually a question I was going to... That's something I was going to mention in my talk that I missed. Um, yeah, so that's an interesting question. Like, uh, because some people d don't believe in God because of the problem of evil. But, like... If there isn't a God, what do we mean by evil? Uh, well, I guess we could mean something like this. We could mean things I don't like, right? Stuff that I don't want in my life. Um, we could mean stuff that hurts other people or makes other people undergo stuff that they don't like, right? So, I mean, we, we, can, we can do things like that. But th there, I think there is a deeper question of, is that really what we mean by evil? Like, I mean, like, don't we believe, like, that th so another way to put this is, if, if there is no God, is there truly good? Right? Now, there's stuff that I like, certainly, right? But is that what we mean by good, or is good something a little more transcendent than that? Um, and the question is, is can we have, can we understand goodness? in a way that goes beyond just, you know, things I want, if there's no God. And that's an interesting question. I, I don't want to, I, I um, but, but I think actually that uh, for us as Christians, God is the ground of all good. God is the, is the source of all good. And ultimately, all good things point us towards God. Um, and we lose all that if there is no God. Um, and in a way, we also lose evil because if evil is the absence of that good, and that good is just gone, or not gone per se, but just it's a misunderstanding of what goodness really is. Goodness is just my preferences. Um, then evil does start to look different. Um, I don't know if that that makes sense, but I think that's a really good point. Um, thanks for your talk. Yeah. I want to hear. I'd like to hear more about what you, how you approach the concept of offering it up. Um, I've always struggled with that. My yeah. experience has been that when people are really suffering or when I've been really suffering, what I want is someone to just be with me in it and not yeah. tell me to offer it up. <laughs> um, but that yeah. personally, like just the other day, I was thinking, I was experiencing physical pain from being pregnant and I was thinking, I should offer this up. And then I was thinking, I don't want to offer this up. I don't like this pain. <laughs> and, and so I was just wondering, Good. like, how do you approach that as yeah. someone who ministers to people who are suffering? So uh, let, me make, let me make it clear. I'm not recommending telling people to offer it up. <laughs> I'm more recommending just offering it up, right? <laughs> um, because, like, telling people to offer it up is really kind of, yeah, I mean... It's not really something we should do in a way. I mean, you know, I mean, like, I, 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 in certain circumstances, maybe, but, um, yeah, so, so, so but, but getting to, to, to your deeper point, which is that, look, I don't want to offer this up. I hate this pain. I want it to go away, right? The concept of offering up our suffering is not, um, it doesn't imply that we like our pain or that we don't want it to go away, right? It doesn't imply those things. It implies that, first of all, we have pain. Right? It's there, whether we like it or not, and we don't like it, um, but it's there. And look, through bearing this pain um, and uniting it to the, to the cross of Christ spiritually, I can do spiritual good for myself and for others. Um, so this is something like when I go to the dentist, I hate going to the dentist because you go to the dentist and you just never know when something's going to hurt, <laughs> right? You're just sitting there and they're, they're, they're poking around in your mouth and eventually and stuff just hurts all of a sudden, right? And so 
so I hate that. Uh, a shot is better because you know it's going to hurt, and they say, okay, here it goes, and it hurts, right? But the dentist is worse. So, uh, so one of the things I do at the dentist is I say, okay, you know, I think of somebody that I know who's suffering, who's having difficulty, and I say, okay, you know, every time this hurts, I'm going to offer this for Michael, you know, and, uh, and for, for all, all of Michael's problems that he's going through in his life. And, uh, uh, and so, you know, all of a sudden, I'm not just sitting there whining and being bitter about my pain, uh, like I'm still hurting, right? And I still don't like hurting, but the hurting is, has some kind of, it has a kind of purpose. It kind of turns me towards prayer, towards God, and towards this other person who is, who is suffering. So it doesn't mean that you start to like the pain. Like, yeah, it can actually distract, my, my experience is it can distract me from the pain a little bit, because all of a sudden, I'm not just thinking about myself. You know, I'm thinking about God, and I'm thinking about another person uh, in the midst of it. And, and, and I'm also really believing that there's something spiritual going on here, you know, that, that, that somehow I actually can, by my baptism, unite my suffering to the cross of Christ. And that I, I can't see the good that, 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 that comes of it, but, um, you know, prayer is powerful. So does that help at all? Yeah. I can't imagine, obviously, as a man especially, I can't imagine <laughs> <laughs> so can you share like how, how you do that I mean just very practically how I do, how I do it personally is I just call to mind that person you know um, I'm about to get you know stuck in the arm with a needle or something and I say okay you know I hate getting stuck as many people do right hate getting stuck in the arm with a needle um, but before it beforehand I say okay this is for so-and-so you know I mean and it's not like I say a poem or something. I usually just, <laughs> you know, there's no, like, formula, so to speak, for it. But I call to mind that person. I say, this is for them. Rather than just sitting there and going, oh, it's going to hurt, it's going to hurt, oh, it hurt, you know. But I, I say, this is for so-and-so. And it still hurts, right? But, um, but yeah, we believe that some, something, it, it's a form of prayer. Can I do another quick follow-up? How about after, well, you want to follow up that one? Yeah. Go right. ahead, go ahead. So some people believe that ahead, to such me. an extent that they actually bring upon suffering upon themselves in yeah. certain ways or invite it yeah on. What, uh, what what do you have to say i mean i'd say that? those those people are great if they can take the suffering of the rest of us <laughs> no no um yeah so i mean that's a spiritual gift i think that's a spiritual gift too and i mean i have known people who have asked for this and who seemingly have had it granted to them have have asked to take on the suffering of someone else um, for the sake of them. Um, so I mean, I think I think sometimes God allows that. Um, and I don't know. Don't ask. You know, it's it's like don't ask. Don't, don't pray for something you don't want. Don't pray if you don't want your prayer answered. Put it that way, <laughs> right? Because sometimes God answers even when you don't expect Him to. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a beautiful thing to do. There's a lot of there's a number of the saints that uh, have suffered in that way. So. More, more, less question. More kind of wanted your reaction to something of an observation I've had uh, on suffering. It seems to me to be almost a mechanism that God has seemed to employ for the improvement of just about anything on that. I don't know why He's chosen it, but in just about everything I can think of, yeah. uh, my personal favorite metaphor is that iron needs to be sent through fire before it can be made into steel. Uh, most yeah. fertile soils, the one that's hit by volcanic magma, and even muscles need to be torn before they're built into something stronger. Everything seems to need to go through this time of trial, but. Why would this be the supposed mechanism that he seems to be placing in nearly all of nature if it's something that's that has an intrinsic evil to it? Oh, why would this be the mechanism for things for being for strengthened? For change or being So you're talking about stuff like muscles being torn. I, and, every, uh, I, can't say, I can barely think of a yeah. anything in nature that yeah. doesn't have some form of it. Well, you know, I mean, so, so what's the alternative, right? So like, like let's say I want to be a professional basketball player, right? I'm gonna have to work and go through a lot of blood and sweat, right? A lot of practice. But what if what if the world wasn't that way? What if I didn't have to suffer in order to become a professional basketball player? I could just say, yeah, I'm just gonna will myself <laughs> to be a professional basketball player, right? Um, and then and then I realize, wait a minute, like there's like 300,000 of us <laughs> right here in Indiana. <laughs> All of a sudden, it's like, well pretty special to be a professional basketball player, isn't it? No, not really anymore. So, I mean, it's difficult to imagine what that world would be like, in a way. I mean, like, if, if 
now, now again, I'm not, I'm not claiming that all suffering is this way, but certainly some suffering is it works exactly the way you're saying. But like, what if it didn't? Like, I, I'm not, I'm just not sure that I could imagine what that world would, <laughs> how it would be so cool to be a professional basketball player if I didn't have to work for it, you know? <laughs> like, I, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not. Just in, to your point, I guess the way that I would think about it, and I'd be curious to see what your thoughts are, is that it, that goes back to like love being a choice and for God wanting us to choose him for who he is, not the good that he provides, and that yeah. maybe there's an aspect to the to an authenticity to our relationship that's that makes that a part of our journey. Yeah, I mean, God, so it's, it's definitely true that God, I mean, and all the spiritual masters say this, that um, you can't become attached to the feelings that you get from God. Right, feelings of consolation in prayer and things like this. And sometimes I mean, many of the, of the greatest saints have uh, periods in their life where they went through a great darkness, right? And they, at least they understand that darkness as having been allowed by God for their purification to do something like what you're saying, I think, to purify their love of him so that their love is not a sort of, uh, it's not a kind of friendship where I'm friends with you because you give me something, Right? I mean, God is, God is like, he's like a vending machine friend, right? You know, I, <laughs> I can turn to him whenever I want and stick my quarter in and get, 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 get something out of it. No, you know, that's not the way God works. He's, he's a person, three persons, actually. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm disagreeing with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's, um, I think that's definitely sometimes the case. And this, is, this goes back also to your point here, that, that sometimes, I mean, God allows us to suffer so that, we can become stronger through it and turn towards him in the midst of it. One phrase that I, I hear a lot when it comes to suffering is that uh, God doesn't give us more than we can, than we can handle. Like he only gives yeah. us enough suffering that we can handle. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering, is this true or is it like, is it possible for us to go through more suffering than we can actually handle? Yeah, well, it depends on what you mean by handle. <laughs> I mean, so it's in the scripture, so it's got to be true, right? But um, more than you can bear is usually the way it's translated. But, uh, but uh, yeah, but what does it mean? Well, I mean, I, I guess, <laughs> you know, I probably haven't suffered enough to be able to, <laughs> to really say what it means. But I, I guess God will always give us the grace and he'll always give us the way. Um, to be able to be able to bear that suffering such that we don't reject him in the midst of it. I think ultimately that's what it's saying. Because I don't, I don't think that he's promising that we're not going to have great pain. Because obviously lots of us have great pain at individual moments and sometimes over extended periods of time. But I think, I think, I think what the promise is is that uh, he'll give us the grace to stay close to him in the midst of it. Um, so long as we accept that, that grace um, and not to be separated from it. Is my, can you guys hear me okay? Is, you can't? Okay. Sorry. Yeah. All right. Is that it? The end? Hey, thank you guys. This is really a, really a pleasure. Yeah.